This is the Action Network Podcast. And it is good. All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's down to seven seconds. It's the truth for the win. Good. Oh! He did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot. Shock it all in college basketball. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. What's up, Degeneration? Welcome to the Action Network podcast. This is the NCAA tournament first round betting preview part deuce. I'm stuck in with me as always, Colin Wilson and Mike Randall. We just got finished doing part one Friday. Today we're getting into the East and West, which I hate on the bracket that why aren't the East on the East to the left and the West on the right? But whatever. Uh, it's not like it matters the actual regions this year. But uh, you still got some energy? You ready to go, Kyle? Yeah. By the time these games get played, Arkansas will already advance to the round of 32. And I think the West region, if I was going to pick one of the regions out that I would want to listen to this podcast, it would be the West. I know we all think Gonzaga is going to fly through it, but in the rest of the bracket, I think there's going to be some madness. Don't sleep on the Raiders, uh, Colin. I don't, I don't even know if Colin's going to show up for the podcast if uh, <laughs> next week if the Arkansas loses. Woo, pig suey. Randall, you ready to roll? Oh, man, this West bracket. Big numbers aplenty moving on. Let's get after it. Yep. Uh, we will have also, we did our Friday night six-pack last episode. We will have the three men we've guys back for their Saturday picks later in the show. We will talk briefly about the matches that aren't set yet, but this should be a quick episode because we didn't we're not gonna have to talk about there's not four there's four matchups that are undetermined right now and we will have uh, we don't have the playing games to talk about if you want to if you're just listening to this one i'm listening to the last one we talk about the playing games on thursday to start off last episode march madness has finally returned and there's only one way to celebrate let's get gambling gambling all right, so let's start in the East. We'll get. I know you guys are itching, so I'm to get to the West. But high level, who do you have coming out of the East? I don't – I personally, I'll start. I don't think it's a I, – I don't see a ton of potential first-round big upsets from the big numbers. I love Dabbling Christian. We'll get to that game. I don't necessarily think it's the best matchup for them. But I do think that at this – both of the top two seeds are fairly vulnerable – and you have some dangerous three and four seeds here. So I actually have the three and four in Florida State and Texas meeting in the Elite Eight in Florida State advancing to the final four. Uh, Randall, what do you have the East looking like and who do you have coming out into the final four? Well, the, just like with Baylor, I do not think Michigan's coming out. Isaiah Livers is a huge, huge loss for them. So I'm looking for teams to knock off Michigan. The first one is St. Bonaventure. I love the Bonnies, no depth, everything else. Great coach. And it's one of these matchups where if they can get by LSU, a hot LSU team that is now playing zone because of all the man deficiencies on defense, I think they're making the Elite Eight. I've been saying that all week. If the Bonnies get by LSU, I think they're in the Elite Eight. At some point, Florida State has the stinker. Me and Florida State do not mix, but I don't think they will put together three strong games in a row. One of them, they'll be very vulnerable. I think it could be against St. Bonaventure. I have them against Alabama. I loved Alabama all year. Shoot the three, well coached. They got the slow start with the odd loss to Stanford. But after that, they've been a buzzsaw. They can nail those threes. And it's a shame, man, because you guys know I love UConn, but RJ Cole with the concussion, we don't know his status. Full strength, that would be a fantastic game. So overall, it's a St. Bonaventure, Alabama matchup for me in almost every bracket that I have of the Elite Eight. Yeah, Book Knight's certainly dangerous. Cole is, I think, trending towards playing. But keep an eye on that. Colin, who do you have coming out? Yeah, I think if you're a listener of the Action Network podcast, basketball, college basketball edition, you are a fan of the East because we have a future. We Our weekly futures portfolio is the East. Michigan, Florida State, UConn, Alabama, Texas. I, I think I think we have a, I, we're going to produce a ticket for somebody into the final four. Uh, and that's the bad thing about taking these the portfolio that we did is you want to avoid each other. And uh, this East bracket didn't do us any favors as far as the collective of the podcast goes. For me, this is the most vulnerable 
one and two seed in the entire dance. Uh, Bama with their regression of their three-point shooting. Michigan having problems uh, taking the ball away, just folding in some of their games down the stretch. Uh, they're just lost without Hunter Dickinson whenever he uh, has foul trouble. Uh, I'm going to roll with our futures that we've been building since January, since before the Super Bowl was played. We like Florida State and UConn, and that's who I've got playing in the Elite Eight. Yeah, hopefully one of – I mean, we have Mich- yeah, Michigan. We You guys voted out Texas. So we have Michigan, Florida State, Bama, and UConn. Um, all of our futures in here. So hopefully one of those teams comes out into the Final Four. In the West, I mean, Randall recommended Oregon, but yeah, we don't have any futures here, which is actually good because you're in the same bracket as Gonzaga. Um, I have Gonzaga coming out of this bracket, but I do think there's some upsets, which we'll get to in the bottom half and in their top half as well, not in their little pod, but in where the 12-13 are. Colin, so I'll start with you. Do you agree Gonzaga's Mm -hmm. coming out of here? I agree Gonzaga is coming out, but the big question is, is what is the makeup of a team that can beat Gonzaga? You know, something that hasn't been done all season. Most of the consensus is, is you have to attack the rim. You have to get to the rim. Slashing to the rim is is a big deal. So teams that are able to do that uh, can give Gonzaga some problems. And that's why I think a team like Missouri that has a Tillman that weighs, you know, over 250 pounds, a a team that's got some size, uh, some thickness, and a great pick and roll game and attacks the rim is what is a formula that could give Gonzaga some problems. So, you know, there's not that many teams in this bracket that could do that. Yeah, I mean, we've already seen them play Iowa. We saw what the result of that was. So I'm not sure anybody can do it here in the West. Yeah, if you're if you're building a bracket and you want to take look, if you want a strategy of how to win a bracket contest and you're in a pretty big bracket, a lot of people are gonna have Gonzaga going to the final four. A lot of people are gonna have Illinois going to the final four. I'm one of them. If you want to take a contrarian and you want to take a stab you have a good chance of winning it if you get this right. If you go with like Houston, right? If Houston wins it all or just get, you get to the final four, you're going to have a leg up on a lot of people that have Illinois. <clears throat> and then same here thing here. If you want to go with Iowa getting to the final four, that would be a contrarian move. Iowa's defense is playing better of late. Do we trust their defense? I don't know. They did play Gonzaga earlier. There was a game in the 90s. They certainly have the offense. Um, I don't know if Missouri can score enough. We'll get to them. Randall... You did a piece on how to beat Gonzaga. Do you think any of these teams can beat them before they get to the Final Four, and do you have them coming out? There's only one in this bracket. I do have Gonzaga coming out. The only one that I see is Oregon. I went back and looked at the last five years that Gonzaga's played in the NCAA tournament because they've had quite a run. Elite Eight, Sweet 16, National Championship lost to North Carolina, Sweet 16, Elite Eight. And I took a look at the profile of teams that defeated them in each of those years, and I found there was four commonalities. Stellar defense, number one. Obviously, you have to play defense against Gonzaga because you're not going to outscore them necessarily. So you must do something to slow them down. Rebounding, I found, was overrated, which was fascinating to me. They out-rebounded their opponents in each of those losses the last five years every single time. So you don't necessarily have to be this tremendous rebounding team. And I think the reason that that happens is because you are committing to defending the arc. You are committing to getting out in the passing lanes and trying to generate steals and blocks, which is really the surprising thing to me that the teams that had success didn't necessarily rebound against Gonzaga very well. I mean, it was within reason, but not that well. But they did generate like 14, 16, 17 steals and blocks. So you're disrupting their offense. Free throws. Gonzaga's offense rates 15th overall in free throw attempts this year. But in the last five NCAA tournaments, the Zags have failed to generate that advantage at the charity stripe. So teams, like you were saying before, attack off the dribble. They get after Gonzaga. They get them in foul trouble and get to the line. So the teams that play Gonzaga need to be able to get to the free throw line and make them and not necessarily be a team that made them all year like Syracuse because they beat them one year, but make them in that game. And the last thing is you have to have a good offense. You have to be offensively efficient because you have to find a way to score some points. The only team in this bracket that fits that profile is Alabama. Alabama's second overall in adjusted defensive efficiency, so you know they can slow them down. They're top 10 defending the three, which is really helpful, and they hold opponents just to 28.8% from beyond the arc. That's a big, big plus. They have athletic guards. They can drive it here with Shackelford. Uh, Herb Jones is tremendous. Petty can make some shots as well. So I think that would be the only chance in this region that they lose in the West. Yeah, the other problem for Missouri, not only is their offense a little limited, especially for the shooting department, they're awful in transition defense. So you got to slow up. And Oregon's really good in, in, in transition. You have to – this Gonzaga offense in transition is 
an absolute juggernaut and Oregon's actually been good in that department. The one thing that scares me about Oregon is just at the rim, right? They could really use Dante for that. Like, are, yes. are they going to be able to slow down Timmy? And yep. um, that's one thing that does scare me. Uh, Alabama's transition has also been very good, but we have lots of time to talk about the matchups down the line. So we all agree Gonzaga's coming out. Um, let's get to the individual games in both regions on Saturday. We'll go in chronological order in case you want to listen back at some point during the day on Saturday. So what would you little maniacs like to do first? Get things started Saturday, 12:15 Eastern on CBS. The red hot Georgetown Hoyas will take on Colorado. Colorado, the buffs are five point favorite over under 138. Just from a, a pure, hey, let's buy low, sell high. You would you think you would want to look at Colorado here because they lost to Oregon State last week, and then you have Georgetown having a crazy run in the Big East tournament, and they blew out Creighton. I mentioned this before. In the last three years, Georgetown held zero opponents in the Big East to under 60 points. Last weekend alone, in four games in the Big East tournament, they held three of them. I mean, just insane. So this Georgetown team is real. I mean, they they dealt with some injuries and COVID stuff. They're really peaking at the right time. The emergence of Belay uh, has really helped. But this is a team that has a lot of size in the middle, and they can also shoot the three. They're, at, I think, like over 36% on the season. A lot of talent with Blair and Pickett. The one really the, – the way they really struggle at is turnovers. They don't really force a lot of turnovers, and they turn it over a lot. That's what happens when you have a freshman point guard a lot of times, which they do. Colorado's going to play more of a packed-in defense, so Georgetown's going to have some opportunities to beat them over the top, and they've shown the shooting prowess. They've also been red hot from the free throw line where Colorado also excels. Um, I keep going back and forth with those. I think I – Georgetown's season-long numbers are obviously not reflective of who that, who the team they are now. But Colorado is such a hard team to figure out. They just, I mean, a lot of their metrics are elite. Top, I shouldn't say elite, but top twenty-five. They definitely look like a top twenty-five team. But then they have these clunkers. Um, so I, I think that you're going to tell me you like Georgetown because you're not a fan of the Colorado and uh, McKinley Wright and Batty inside and Horn. What do you see? Yeah, good metrics plus clunkers means soft. And that's what Colorado is. They've done very well this year. I mean, they were 22 and eight and 14 and six. But guys, how many of those wins came at home against teams in the altitude, right? And they killed teams on the second leg of that Colorado, Utah back to back tour where you're the really tough road trip that goes on there with the Pac 12 travel restrictions. Georgetown is hot. They're going to come in. They're also doing it inside and outside. Blair has been great from three-point range. I think Georgetown continues it. I know the metrics love Colorado, but I just think there's more that meets the eye there. They beat USC three times. Congratulations. So you're going to use the argument that they can deal with the big, but Georgetown is a better all-around team right now than USC is playing at that level. Wahab inside. Blair can shoot threes. Dante Harris as a freshman has been fantastic and developed throughout the year. I think Georgetown continues to roll. I don't buy Colorado. Now all of a sudden it's going to turn around on a neutral court in Indianapolis. Hoya paranoia keeps going. They push around a soft Colorado team. Colin? Yeah, for me, I think if you want to bet against Georgetown not keeping up this ridiculous rate that they have from the three-point line, the better play is to bet the under. Uh, it's a game I project at 135, uh, currently sitting at 138. Uh, you know, Georgetown would have to stay hot from deep. Uh, Colorado's, you know, no threat from the defensive perimeter. They're 143rd in three-point shooting with their opponents. Uh, so, you know, Georgetown would have to stay hot here. And Colorado doesn't go to the line very often. Their free throw rate is 216th. Uh, they are second in the nation in free throw percentage. That's great, but they just don't get to the line very often. And ball security is still an issue. I mean, when I mentioned on the last podcast that, you know, Villanova, after they lost Gillespie, still only had just a handful of turnovers against Georgetown. They couldn't force any, couldn't force their will on them, uh, bringing the ball up the court or any of their possessions. So, you know, Georgetown outside the top 300 in turnover percentage and defensive turnover percentage. Uh, so there's a hard time handling the ball, a hard time, you know, taking the ball away. So for me, I think the best way to say if Georgetown's not going to keep up this ridiculous pace of hitting – 23 of 23 free throws and an amazing number from the three-point line, you should take the under. Yeah, the turnovers are, are one thing that concerns me. Like Georgetown doesn't force any, and they turn it over a lot. It's just a freshman point guard. But who's, who's been better? Uh, I mean, Dante Harris has been better of late. So 
I think the line values with Georgetown, I'm going to go back and forth on this. Um, I don't hate the call, Randall. If you hate gambling, go listen to NPR. Um, all right, let's move on to 1245 Eastern Florida State, 10 and a half point favorites over UNC Greensboro, over under 146. On paper, what UNCG wants to do is they, they need to turn you over and they're going to press. By the way, these are the two most press heavy teams in the field and they play each other. The third and fourth most press-heavy teams, Oregon and VCU, they also play each other. We'll get to that game later. But Florida State does have turnover issues. They are a little loose with the ball, but they've actually handled the press pretty well from a, from a metric standpoint this year, grading out uh, fairly well. They have enough athletes, I think, in versatility to break this press. Isaiah Miller, look, I love Wes Miller. Isaiah Miller is a great competitive guard, a phenomenal on-ball defender, but it's just – they did the, the athleticism and length advantage for Florida state here. And look, UNCG has to live on the offensive glass. Florida state is a little vulnerable in that department, but I just think it'd be able to create way too many mismatches on the offensive end of the floor. Their size is too great. There's only one Isaiah Miller and the UNCG offense is so bad. I mean, they just can't shoot. They take a lot of inefficient two point jumpers. When they do take three point jumpers, they can't make them. It's the offense is bad. Florida state can shoot. They have a lot of length. They can defend at the rim. It's just, I think that whenever UNCG doesn't turn over Florida State and they've been decent against the press and they run it themselves, they face it in practice for as much as you're a press suppressing team. I think the UNCG just can't score enough in the half court and that'll be the difference. I lean Florida State here through the minimum money line parlay actually with App State. Randall, what do you see here? Yeah, that's it. It's the UNCG offense. I love UNCG. Great coach in West Miller. Isaiah Miller, wonderful player, great point guard. But they're going to match up with a Florida State team that's going to do a lot of the same things. UNCG also not good from the free throw line, 68%. They don't make three-pointers. I mean, they'd have to control the game with their style, but Florida State's fine playing this style. This isn't a contrast. You're not going to have a team come down and shoot wild shots and then all of a sudden turn around and really struggle to stop UNCG on defense. I just don't like the matchup. I don't think UNCG scores enough. That's really the issue. Florida State for me. Colin, you make it a consensus? Well, not just a consensus. I I, I took Florida State minus 10 and a half. I, I don't have any problem swallowing the points here. I, it's a game I project up to 12. But more importantly, uh, UNCG's point distribution is all from the two-point range. It's a, I mean, it's not free throws, terrible free throw rate. It's not three-pointers. It's all interior. That is bad news against Florida State, who's 11th in uh, two-point defense in the nation. I mean, they're they're, you know, flying right into the to the mouth of the dragon here. I mean, they're just going to get burnt alive with their kind of offense. So I had no problems taking the, the minus 10 and a half, and I take it up to 12 on Florida State. This is Action Network podcast producer Matt Mitchell here to tell you our friends at BetMGM have a great new sign-up offer for our listeners, a $600 risk-free first bet. Here's how it works. If you don't already have an account at BetMGM, just sign up, make your first deposit, and place that initial wager. If the bet wins, you get all the money. If it doesn't win, BetMGM will refund you in free bets up to $600. It's that simple. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. BetMGM has been a great podcast partner, and they've got all the features gamblers like us love, like live betting and daily odds boosts, Plus, they're compatible with BetSync, so when you place a wager at BetMGM, that bet can automatically be tracked in your action app. So open an account today and make your first bet risk-free up to $600. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Michigan, New Jersey, Colorado, Indiana, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Tennessee, Nevada, or Pennsylvania. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. BetSync not available in Nevada. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. By the way, Florida State Gonzaga, third time. They would meet for if that happens, they meet for the third time in the last three tournaments. They split the last two. All right, let's move on. Eastern Washington at against Kansas. Kansas, ten and a half point favorites. Over under 146 and a half. I took some Eastern Washington here. There's just a lot of uncertainty with Kansas, right? They are, they're dealing with COVID issues, interrupted week. McCormick is going to play, I think, but he's not traveling till later in the week. 
Jalen Wilson is out. It's not the deepest team in the world. Eastern Washington, phenomenal offensive team. Phenomenal. I mean, they can they get their deadly in transition. They can spread it out. They can all shoot. They run a lot of stuff through Groves in the middle. He's not your prototypical big. They will probably struggle with McCormick and struggle defensively in some ways against Kansas, but the Kansas offense isn't great by any stretch. Um, and they don't run a lot of the stuff that I think Eastern Washington struggles with, but I always have to be afraid of what Bill Self will tweak. But I think it's too many points when you're, we were talking about all the uncertainty surrounding Kansas and how good this Eastern Washington offense can be. Uh, so I, I took a piece of the Eagles plus 11. Randall, do you agree or disagree? Grabbed it right away. Eastern Washington started the year in the non-conference, away Washington State, away Arizona, away Oregon, away St. Mary's. So they challenge themselves on the road. They are explosive on offense. They shoot the three tremendously well. Kansas has been struggling all year. A lot of people were saying that they, they're not worried about Kansas. They think they're going to get it together. I'm not so sure about that, guys. I, Kansas has been up and down. They've had a couple performances there. Abaji with big threes against Oklahoma. I understand that. But at home against UTEP, did not play well. I don't like Kansas here. I think we're talking about a Jenga puzzle. You take Jalen Wilson out. McCormick sometimes can get into foul trouble. He's going to be rusty. Tanner Groves is a problem inside. He's a good player, both ends of the floor. Kim Aiken can score, well-coached, challenge himself in the non-conference. Give me Eastern Washington the points and for them to beat Kansas outright. Upset alert. Love it. Colin? Yeah, I got to echo all of this. I mean, we didn't know if Dave McCormick was going to make it. He, he made the trip all by himself. Tristan Aruna is not going to not going to be there for this, but he hasn't been much of a factor this season. No Jalen Wilson, like Randall said. I, Bill Self mentioning that Tyon Grant Foster is going to have to get some more minutes to help out. He was the number one JUCO transfer in the nation. He's been a complete bust, averaging three points per game. The big difference here is the effective field goal percentage. Eastern Washington's 38th and KU's 186th and you know, I just – listen, there's some serious issues here with, with the Jayhawks. It's not a typical Jayhawks team. This Eastern Washington is is just a great shooting team. Uh, I'll take Eastern Washington the points, and I like the upset also. We've certainly seen Bill Self go down in the first round before to a double-digit seed. So that would certainly be interesting to start off Saturday afternoon. Let's move on to a game that is driving me crazy. Bonnie's LSU. LSU, one-and-a-half-point favorite, over-under – 144 and a half. Bonnie's such a well-disciplined, well-schooled defense, especially when Osun is staying out of foul trouble and can protect the rim. They have a lot of experience on the perimeter, especially when that's especially effective when they're hitting outside shots. LSU defense is terrible. They play a lot of zone. They'll pressure you and then they'll drop into their zone a lot. A defense is just bad. They don't have a ton of size in the middle, um, but their offense is uh, awesome. Uh, it's been on fire. Cam Thomas is a walking bucket. This is an offensive rate's fifth in offensive efficiency. There's really no weaknesses on the offense. They also attack the offensive glass as a team really well. So it's a fascinating matchup where I've heard people make arguments for both. And Bonnie's is going to get a lot of offensive rebounds, control the offensive glass themselves against LSU in their zone and with their lack of size in the middle. Um, it's a fascinating matchup. The one thing that might be the kicker for me is LSU's defense. They, if you look, they, they write very 20th in all of college basketball and three point defense, holding teams to 30% shooting, but they're allowing the 330th most attempts this is a team that's been, I think, very lucky and fortunate in regards to three-point defense. So I think the regression monster is coming. Uh, Ken Bonnies, which has been – they're not elite three-point shooting team, but they're certainly capable enough, especially if Kyle Lawford can hit some threes. But Jaron Holmes is right at 40%. You have Welch, too, who's over 40%. So uh, there's a, a good chance that there's some – Three-point regression coming for this LSU defense, but you have to respect the LSU offense, the talent that they have, the shooting ability that they have. So this is a tough one. I've heard equally good cases for both. Bodies also, like from a shot quality perspective, if you look, they they also are a regression candidate. So very complex game to break down. Randall, help us out. Bonnie's 14-5-1 against the spread, one of the best in the country. Guarding the three, 
Bonnie's are top 30. Guarding the two, Bonnie's are top 25. What do you want in a close game? Make free throws. Bonnie's at 74%. Four guard alignment, Osuni rarely gets in foul trouble, and their winning percentage when he's been on the floor for the last two years has been something like 32 and five, some incredible number. Will Wade did a nice job. The offense gets hot. This is still an LSU team that I don't trust on defense. They're, they're not going to foul you the St. Bonaventure. I think they're going to control the tempo. I think LSU in a neutral court is going to struggle. I understand they made some incredible shots there. Watford, Watford and the crew, you know, when they're playing Alabama, really battling there. Cam Thomas, great. I like the chemistry. I like the coaching of Mark Schmidt. I like the fact that they've been hot. They were winning big time in the A-10 tournament. wasn't close. They're great against the number. This is the close game for the Bonnies. Like I said, they get through this game. I think they're making the Elite Eight. I will take St. Bonaventure over LSU. <laughs> we're making the Elite Eight. Well, I will put in a case for St. Bonaventure. And this is a, you know an LSU team that I watched every minute play almost this year because I called them defense optional. Uh, they were one of the worst defensive teams in the SEC. And if you look at this run that they had all the way to the SEC championship game and you look at how they finished the season going up to Missouri, securing that double bye, it had nothing to do with their defense. Their offensive efficiency – since February 1st, per Torvik, went from 118 up to 124 while their defense actually got a little bit worse. So it's not that these Tigers were ever doing anything better on the defensive side of the ball where they were you know, terrible. It's just that the offense was just going crazy in one-on-one matchups. As we mentioned, Cam Thomas, just super, super player that, that the Tigers have here. But I think the Bonnies are going to win this game. Uh, they do all their work in the post, which is a perfect place to attack the Tigers. 240th and two-point uh, defensive percentage. Uh, they can't defend in the block whatsoever. Uh, they're not going to try to shoot threes against them. Uh, you know, both teams should clean the offensive glass and there'll be plenty of, plenty of putbacks there, which I, I still think, you know, favors uh, St. Bonaventure since they can get to the free throw line and hit their higher percentage of free throws. Uh, and I think the one thing that I want to mention about them going to the lead eight is I struggled to take them past Michigan. I really kind of, I, I see it in the numbers where St. Bonaventure can beat Michigan, But my issue was that they're 347th in bench minutes and they don't go very deep in this rotation or in the roster period. So I had a hard time taking them farther in the tournament. Randall with the body's call. There it is for everybody. Um, You make some valid points. All right. um, I'm still going to sit on this game. It's it's driving me crazy. It's kind of like Syracuse, San Diego State of Friday. Um, All right. Let's move on in the afternoon. Get to UC Santa Barbara against Creighton. Creighton, seven and a half point favorites over under 138. I love this UC Santa Barbara team. You look at them and there's just no real weakness. They're very well coached. Corey McLaughlin is excellent. High major transfer guard. Uh, You know, they do have Sandy who's questionable, maybe doubtful, um, which will hurt a little bit, especially in the shooting department. Uh, But this team is fully capable of still winning this game. They also take away the three. They are they extend their defense really well, and they're really disciplined, and they're and they're good at inside. They have sell inside is is it's just it's a really complete mid major team that just doesn't get enough love. What is going on with Creighton? I we don't know. We know that they do like to shoot the three. UCSB could take that away. I love McLaughlin. I think this is going to be a battle. Wouldn't be shocked if Santa Barbara wins. Randall, you on board? Yeah, I'm on board. Santa Barbara through. McLaughlin is one of the best players that no one knows about. Sort of reminds me, remember back with Lehigh with C.J. McCollum when he had that incredible tournament there? They beat Duke. That's what I think we can get from him. I agree about Sonny. I would really like him to play because he's so important. 11 points per game, does great stuff on defense. But look, if I told you that Creighton didn't make their shots, I think you'd pick Santa Barbara no problem. We just saw them be horrific shooting against Georgetown. So I love the people here who are like like Creighton, but then say Georgetown's about to stop. Which one is it, guys? I think that Georgetown is legit. I think that Creighton is going the wrong way. You want to go to a narrative street with me? I think the plantation comments sort of disrupted the chemistry there. That was a huge lay and egg spot for Creighton, who wanted to get over the hump and win a Big East title, and they got destroyed from start to finish. Now they go to a neutral court. Probably not going to shoot great at the neutral court. Here comes McLaughlin. I know their defense has been better this year. Sal is going to own them inside. I think it's bad mojo. Hot team in Santa Barbara. Well coached by Pasternak. Sonny plays. Lock it in. I'll take Santa Barbara with the points and to win outright. Yeah, three-point reliant Creighton team against a really good perimeter defense and a really good defensive rebounding team 
in Santa Barbara, and Creighton doesn't really get offensive rebounds. Uh, Colin? Yeah, really, uh, I agree with everything here. I mean, Santa Barbara, I love the Gauchos. And Creighton really doesn't do anything except shoot threes. I mean, getting to the free throw line, they're 293rd in free throw rate. And they only shoot 64%, which is almost dead last in the country. So, I and and I, I'll stick on narrative street here with Randall for a little bit about what's going on with this team. But more importantly, the one thing that we haven't mentioned about UC Santa Barbara is the fact that they play in a conference where they saw an ass load of threes. They saw threes at you know one of the highest rates in the country uh, in the Big West. Uh, so they're going to be prepared for to go up against a Creighton team where all they do is hang out at the perimeter all day. Despite you know seeing you know just a barrage of threes in conference play, they won 18 of their last 19 games. Yeah, Sonny went down. He's doubtful. He's a significant contributor in points. He's a great shooter. But at the same time, they had no problems finishing off UC Irvine. I mean, Sonny played nine minutes, got hurt, and then they finished off UC Irvine. Uh, one by 16, only had seven turnovers. Uh, you know, they have a senior point guard, right? Teams in advance in the tournament have good guard play. They have a senior point guard in Verl Ramsey. Uh, plenty of ball handling experience here. I just, I mean, I'm, this is not all narrative street here. Uh, Santa Barbara can easily handle the three-pointers. Uh, very experienced team. I think one thing nobody's even thought about, this team's won 65 games in the last three seasons. This group is good. Yep. I mean, McLaughlin can run point two. He's an excellent distributor. He's also shooting 40% for three, 85% from the line. Uh, top 50 assist rate. Uh, doesn't turn it over. I mean, he's just an excellent player. I'm excited for the country to get introduced to him. Um, if, it, if the name sounds familiar, by the way, he was at Oregon State for a couple of years, and then he transferred to UC Santa Barbara in 2019. Oh, all right, let's move on to the evening, and we'll get to Grand Canyon catching 14.5 points against Iowa over under 145. Really interesting game here. Grand Canyon is a post-centric offense, sort of like Abilene Christian. They have Midgard, a seven-footer. They also have Lever, a seven-footer. These are, I think, what? One's from Denmark, the other – yeah, Italy. Lever because steps out, he's more of a shooter, but he can play in the post as well. But he does shoot like 40% from three. But everything through the post, their guards are not that strong. If you take away lever shooting, I mean it's it's bad. But even with it, if they're 245th in the country in three-point shooting, which is bad news against Iowa. Their defense is playing better of late. They're gonna play a lot of zone. You're gonna get a lot of open looks from three against Iowa. And Grand Canyon, their guards, it's I don't know if they could take advantage, but this is where Iowa might miss Jack Nunge. And Garza, look, he's really good in the post. He's pr- he's probably going to get his against Midgard. But if he gets in foul trouble, Iowa would be uh, in trouble. And because they don't have anyone else who can come in and really cover these towers for Grand Canyon. I think ultimately Iowa's guards are going to be they're going to make just too many shots from the outside. They're going to create too much offense. That's that's really the difference here is they're going to hit more outside shots than Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon wants to slow it down. They want to work the post. I was also one of the heaviest post offenses in the nation because of Garza. So intriguing matchup here because of the way that Grand Canyon plays. Also, their offense, they turn it over a lot with their guards. Like just Their guards are very weak on the perimeter. They don't force any turnovers, They and they turn it over a lot. Not – no worry, really, against Iowa because Iowa doesn't turn it over against anybody. They don't really force a lot of turnovers with their defense. So there's some interesting things here for Grand Canyon. Maybe an intriguing dog. Randall, are you seeing it or no? Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up Nunge. I put that in the action article. I, I think his loss is, is bigger than people realize because now there's a lot of pressure on Garza to stay out of foul trouble. It's it's similar with Rutgers with Miles Johnson and, and – uh, Cliff Amaruri, who was really giving him some minutes. Uh, Garza got to be a little more reserved now because he, he knows there's nobody behind him who can really play. Grand Canyon can match up with them and limit Garza. I certainly like Iowa to move on, but I'll take Grand Canyon the points. Uh, I think they get their pace. I, I just think it's tough to put them in over Iowa because they're not going to force turnovers. And I think against Iowa, it kind of sounds similar to Gonzaga. You have to force them to make mistakes, steals and blocks, things like that. Grand Canyon is not going to do that, but can they do enough against an Iowa defense that really, I know it's been better, but I'm still not buying it. Uh, I think they can to keep it close. I'll take Grand Canyon the points, but Iowa moves on. Colin? Yeah, I mean, I projected at 14, so I do think that if you're going to take a side, you should take Grand Canyon. And the question is, is will the Twin Towers defense be able to slow down 
Garza. And, I, you know, one thing I noticed from Garza in that last game against Ohio State in the Big Ten tournament, it's, he looked gassed. Uh, so I, I'm not sure. I'm going to be watching that real closely here about how many minutes he's playing. And if he looks gasped, you know, he's usually the first one up and down the court. And I wasn't seeing that against Ohio State. So definitely something to, to keep an eye on here. But, you know, <laughs> I was the number one team in the nation in offensive turnover percentage. No one's going to take the ball away. And, and Grand Canyon's outside the top 30. So, you know, if the Antelopes can't take the ball away, um, then, you know, Garza's just going to have his way down in the post. Uh, the Iowa defense has been poor through Big Ten play, but, I mean, it's really been on the perimeter. And Grand Canyon doesn't pound threes. I mean, they're 277th in point distribution from three. Uh, you know, Wheezy's healthy. Bohannon's in his ninth year, still shooting threes. Uh, I, I kind of question whether this was the toughest game for Iowa for a while, uh, you know, for in, in the tournament, right? Because of, because of, you need to have post players to beat Iowa and beat Garza. And I wondered if Grand Canyon – uh, was better than some of the teams that are on Iowa's schedule. But I'm telling you, a dream March Madness matchup for me would dis- would be to see Drake go up against Iowa. That would just set that state on fire. I'm starting to fall more in love with Grand County because, I mean, oh, look, they don't, force, they don't force – they don't force – I don't think they're going to win this game, but I, they don't force turnovers. But, uh, I mean, no one – Iowa never turns it over. They lead oh. the nation in, in turnover percentage. So, like, it doesn't really matter. Something else to know. Who – recruited Bryce Drew to Notre Dame before he decided to go to Valpo, Fran McCaffrey. So, I mean, there is a, a very strong, uh, long history connection between these two. McCaffrey tried to get him to come to Notre Dame when McCaffrey was an assistant. So, uh, you know, Bryce Drew and, 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 and him, this is a, a very, very interesting matchup on and off the court. Bryce Drew magic. Uh, also, Hollywood doesn't really foul. Grand Canyon struggles at the line. There's a lot, it's a lot of interesting little things that, because of the way that they match up, it might work in Grand Canyon's favor. We'll see. I might end up having a play on Iowa. I've been on Grand Canyon. All right, let's move on. 7-10 Eastern, Maryland, UConn. UConn three-point favorites. This is a game I can almost guarantee you. There's a lot of games where I'm like still – I've bet a lot of games already. There's a lot of games that I have circled that I'm like, am I going to bet this or am I not? This I'm pretty convinced I am just not going to bet it. I make Connecticut two-and-a-half-point favorite. I don't – I think book night will probably end up being the difference, but it's a, a game I don't have a really good feel for. Randall, do you? It's RJ Cole dependent if I bet it. If Cole is healthy and he suits up, I'll just take UConn. I get it's a close game. Maryland with the guards can can defend the perimeter. Uh, Sonogo's going to have to have a big game, not get in foul trouble, but I'm going to take UConn. I've liked them all year. They've been hot. Book night back. The offense is, is clicking. And listen, they didn't make their shots against Creighton, had a rough night. The three points isn't enough to scare me away, provided that R.J. Cole is healthy. So I'll take UConn and give the points to move on here. I think they're destined for a matchup that I would love against Alabama in the second round. Yeah, I mean, Maryland, obviously, they're going to shoot a lot of threes. Um, Not going to do much in the post. So they're a high-variance team, which is why they also give up a lot of threes, which is why you've seen them have some crazy results this year, right? Like, so they lost at Northwestern. They have a, a bunch of home losses that you're they, you would think that they would win, but they won. Let's see, they won at Illinois, they won at Wisconsin. Um, they were the first to go to Minnesota. They beat them by fourteen when Minnesota was rolling at home. Um, so, like, they have these they have these really good wins, and then they have a couple of losses where you say, "Oh, I thought that they were going to win that game." Um, so it's a it's a high variance team because of the three point shooting. Um, I just don't – there's nothing here that's screaming at me like I got to take one side or the other. Colin, help me out. Yeah, I mean, I would play Connecticut. It's Connecticut or nothing for me. It's a game that I uh, power rated minus two and a half. And so I think what the key stat that you need to look at here, if you're going to bet this, is Maryland is one of the worst offensive rebounding teams in the nation at 327th. They will have no second-chance points whatsoever on the other end of the court. UConn is sixth in offensive rebounding. They will generate a ton of easy putbacks. And for me, that's the biggest difference in the game. All right, let's move on to 7-15 Eastern. Man, I am going to be loose for this game. I'm going to be drinking all day. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. And uh, 7-15 Eastern on True TV, Virginia, Ohio. This is my – I just bought Ohio in a Calcutta as we speak. I have so much Ohio exposure. I tweeted out as soon as the line came out, it's, this is all about Ohio here. By the way, Virginia's not even practicing yet. They don't even know if they'll get a practice in. There's going to be one named, one unnamed player out. 
I don't know if I can talk about this game anymore. I'm going to have to talk about it like 50 more times. I've talked about it so much. I've written about it so much. But I will for those who are listening for the first time um, because I love our audience. Virginia, look, pack line defense. We know how they play. They're going to play one of the slowest tempos in the country. They are not going to get any offensive rebounds. They're going to get back, prevent you from getting in transition. They are not going to let you get any offensive rebounds because of their pack line defense. And Ohio, excellent offense, just an electric offense. It's just a fun team to watch. They have shooters. Jason Preston is an NBA-level guard, great distributor, shoots 40% from three, smart. A hell of a story. Look it up. He averaged two points in high school, went to a prep school on the C team, um, and made his way to Ohio. Now he's an unbelievable player. First team on Mac, probably going to play at the next level, maybe an NBA draft pick in the second round. But this team has the shooters to beat the pack line. They have the guards to break down the pack line. Um, and their defense, which is questionable, metric-wise, has played better of late. They had some shooting luck in the MAC tournament, but the effort was there. And I think their season-long metrics are a little skewed because they dealt with a lot of COVID earlier in the year. They had some guys out for certain games. They had to recover from that. Now they're peaking, peaking at the right time. And while Virginia is the team that has to deal with it, they pulled out of the ACC tournament. They haven't practiced all week. So, um, look, Ohio's defense isn't great. And the thing is, is look, I, I could end up being – Really wrong in this game. Plus, plus there's a low, it projects a low possession game because the way Virginia plays, dead last in the country in adjusted tempo. But Virginia does shoot a ton of threes, right? And Ohio is going to shoot a ton of threes this game. Just beautiful ball, ball movement, too. So if Ohio is ice cold and Virginia is making all of their threes, I mean, Virginia is going to win by 10 plus. But um, Virginia hasn't been practicing. <laughs> And they're dealing with COVID, and Ohio's peaking right at the right time. All the momentum and all the confidence. I, I think Ohio has a good chance to win this game. Jason Preston show, uh, just like in the MAC tournament last week. Randall, agree? So I uh, heard of Tony Bennett in an interview. He gave Jason Preston the highest compliment he could. He said, Jason Preston is Ty Jerome. That's what Tony Bennett said. And that's the type of player he is. He's a winner. He makes big shots. Dwight Wilson inside, really nice footwork for a big man, sort of goes under the radar with all the, the glitz and glamour of the Ohio offense. Mark Sears, Vanderplas can make threes. He's a tough matchup, big guy. Virginia not practicing, Ohio hot, destroying teams in the tournament, destroying Kent State, no Pippen, but still destroying Toledo, crushing a really good athletic Buffalo team. Love Ohio here to move on. I don't think it's I don't think they're going only one round either, but it's the Preston show, no practice for Virginia. I just think it's tough. I get it. Contrarian, Bennett, great coach. But this Ohio team right now is a buzzsaw, and they're doing a great job. Upset alert. Colin, make it a clean sweep. Yeah, I I can't break it down any better than you guys did. I can only throw in a couple notes. I mean, I took it money line. uh, And I will say that from a market perspective, it's not going to go any higher. It doesn't matter. No matter if Virginia says everybody's fully healthy, uh, that's not going to shoot the lineup. It's a projection. It's at seven. And it should have been there in the first place. I don't know what that opener was from the odds makers, uh, but it should have been seven. Now, depending on who Virginia is not going to be playing, it should go down even farther. I mean, this is a line that could close at four. And there is going to be a monster amount of money come in on Ohio. And, it, and you know, if Virginia compounds that with whoever it is that's not going to play for them, it's going to get even worse. Now, consider this when you're thinking like, oh, they're talking about Ohio is all hot. I mean, how hot is hot? Uh, Ohio beat Cleveland State by 55 and during that game, they scored 40 straight. Cleveland State's in the dance. Ohio scored 40 straight on a, on a team that's in the tournament. So I don't, I don't know. And, and listen, if you want to go into like recency, like what's happened since the COVID, if you look at the overall yearly numbers and Ohio finished eighth in the MAC in defensive efficiency, well, per Torvik, if you just cut that off till back like February 1st, they were second in the MAC in defensive efficiency. The defense has really stepped up trying to match as good as the offense is. But this, I mean, buzzsaw, I mean, just we're not doing this team any justice by saying how hot they actually are. Yeah, that was the game. By the way, when they put that that run on Cleveland State, that was the game after they lost at Illinois by two points Yeah, um, in a game that they easily could have won. I think Illinois had to come back late. And in that game, Preston had mm, 31, uh, eight assists. So he's phenomenal. Uh, we're, it's, it's all about the Bobs. How are you? Not great, Bob. I can't wait for that game. Seven Eastern men. Um, <laughs> How many I'm tweets? Can we say tweeting up a storm? Let's set the over-under tweets at 370 and a half. How many tweets do you uh, think? I'll be out 
It depends on how the game is going. <laughs> I'd say I'll say I'll set the total from the start of the tip until the final whistle. I'll set the t- over under of tweets at uh, thirty eight. That's good. That's a good number. All right, let's move on. Uh, Seven twenty five Eastern. While I'll be watching Ohio, Missouri, Oklahoma, Oklahoma one point favorite now because uh, over under one thirty nine and a half because it was recently announced. And I haven't gone in and done any additional work. We've been recording podcasts and shows for the last three hours on what this means, and specifically for this matchup. But Devion Harmon was announced out. He tested positive for COVID. He will be out. He's their second leading scorer. Maybe it's not the biggest loss here. I mean, it's tough for me to figure out or not. I have to go in and look because I I would assume maybe Oklahoma has to go bigger against Missouri, and that means Qua has to play more. So – I don't know. It's tough. But um, when I look at this matchup, it's an interesting game because Oklahoma, one of their biggest issues is their perimeter defense. And it's just not a strong perimeter day. You would think Missouri might have some success in, success in pick and roll, but they don't really shoot the ball well. And, and you can get open looks against Missouri. So does Oklahoma maybe not have to worry about that as much? Missouri also struggles from the line. It's it's, you know, Missouri's defense also takes away the three, but they struggle in transition. And there's a lot of different things to look at here. The Harmon loss is significant. This probably closes at a pick or maybe Missouri minus one. Um, I don't have a strong feeling it yet. It's now you throw the, the curveball of Harmon being out. What do you see, Randall? Yeah, I didn't like Harmon being out. And I, and I, de- I don't like Harmon being out. And I didn't like Oklahoma before. I think they're kind of running on fumes here, dragging down the stretch. I think, Til- I think Tillman inside can get whatever he wants, provided he stays out of foul trouble. I think the Smith brothers can actually match up pretty well. Reeves, Austin Reeves does a nice job with all the, the head fakes and trying to get to the foul line and all that stuff. But no Harmon takes away a really solid perimeter defender for them. I just don't think they have an inside game, Oklahoma. I mean, they post up, but they never throw the ball inside. It's too perimeter oriented. I think Missouri can get out and get some transition layups. Oklahoma doesn't turn the ball over, but I just think they're going to struggle on offense. They haven't been playing well, and I like the Tillman advantage inside for Missouri. No harm and seals it for me. I'll take the Tigers to move on. Yeah, I mean, the one good thing, the other thing to look at, it, Oklahoma, I just see how much this Harmon means this, but Oklahoma is excellent in transition on offense, and when they can get out, they'll – Spot up three, and that's a weakness of this Missouri defense, which has some – it's not the most versatile defense in the world. Um, so they're – you know, Oklahoma's pick and roll, Oklahoma's transition offense could have some success if they figure out what that – what Harmon being out means, though. Are they going to be able to play the same way? Uh, Colin, what do you see here? Yeah, this is a game where the puzzle pieces are just not fitting correctly for me to be able to make a play because I want to take Missouri – but there's certain things that don't match up. Like OU is 12th in defensive free throw rate and Missouri is 285th in defensive free throw rate, which means, you know, they're going to foul a lot and they're never going to get to the line. OU is not going to put them on the line. And that's where Missouri gets all of their points. That's where they have their highest point distribution. So, you know, I want to back Missouri, but then there's the free throw issue. OU's defense is 68th in steals and Missouri's offense is 140th in ball protection. So I like Missouri down low, but they have to get it across half court. Now, I don't like Oklahoma in the post whatsoever. I mean, what does Brady Manic weigh? Like 200 pounds with mullet and mustache or whatever he's got going on? Jeremiah Tillman and Kobe Brown are 260 and 240 pounds. Those guys moving in the paint is scary. And so everything from inside the arc on, Missouri is going to dominate the game. I'm just – everything else outside of that is not adding up for me to put a play on. Yeah, and what can Manic do by drawing those defenders out and pick and pop situations? So – it's an intriguing game. I'm not sure I'll play, especially with this Harmon news. But I'll dig into it. Keep an eye on the Action Network app to see if I do. All right, let's move on to the next game. It's 9.50 Eastern on True TV. Abilene Christian, nine and a half point dogs now against Texas over under 140. Look, Abilene Christian, Abilene Christian was a team I had circled. I was all over them last weekend. I think thought they were going to be a tricky matchup for some team in the first round. It was a team I thought was going to be one of my upset picks. I just don't think this is a great matchup for them. Look, they do force a ton of turnovers. They lead the nation in turnover percentage on defense. There are no middle defense. They're kind of built like Texas Tech, but they're and who's very aggressive too. But Abilene Christian is aggressive to the extreme. And they will force a ton of turnovers. Texas does have turnover problems, which is one of the intriguing things here. On the offensive side of the ball, Abilene Christian, great shooting team, but they run everything through the post. It's one of the most post-heavy offenses in the country. They run everything through seven-footer, not – Seven-footer Colton Cole. But yeah, in the Southland, by the way, they had one of the softest, easiest strengths of schedules of any tournament team outside of the SWAC and MEAC. 
and Texas have one of the toughest. But those teams generally have to help. And yeah, I think he shoots like 33% of their shots. They have to help on Cole. And then they leave shooters, and Abilene Christian has a lot of capable shooters. But Texas actually has the size inside and Sims and company that can play Cole one-on-one. And they have the size to battle on both ends of the floor. So I don't think it's going to be as easy for Abilene Christian. And they play basically like really similar defense to Texas Tech, who Texas saw three times. They weren't great against Texas Tech, but seeing that three times has to help. I also think Texas, their profile and their statistical measures, I think they're peeing at the right time. Who knows if – I mean, Greg Brown throws a tantrum, turns it over. Who knows? But if they're connected on the defensive end of the floor, um, this team is dangerous. And they dealt with COVID as well. So I think some of their season-long numbers are depressed, which is why, like, a team like Loyola is, like, eighth on Kempom and Texas is, like, 25th. Um, I think you could argue that that full season, no COVID, that might be reversed by now. Um, But – so I I have no interest – in Abilene Christian here, and I thought I would. Uh, Randall, do you? When you make these picks, it's got to be balanced between metrics and gut. And sometimes your gut just tells you, after watching all these games like we do and studying the numbers, that something is fishy. I understand that Texas is scolding hot, and they won the Big 12 tournament, and they played great, and the guards, and inside with Sims, and Greg Brown, of course, excellent talent. I don't like Shaka in a big spot. We have seen a game like this before. We have seen Michigan State winning the Big Ten tournament. Denzel Valentine, incredibly hot, play Kermit Davis and Middle Tennessee State, who no one knew. This is a team at Abilene Christian who is in the state of Texas. This is their Super Bowl. This is their everything. They've played at Texas Tech. They were competitive for a lot of that game. They have no problem getting up and playing defense. They can force turnovers. Texas does have problems with turnovers. I need a little leap of faith here, folks. I need you to believe that Abilene Christian is going to turn Texas over, that Texas is not going to have a great shooting night, and that Abilene Christian is going to make threes. But isn't that what March Madness is all about? You put that together. I love Abilene Christian in the points, and I love Abilene Christian to move on. I just have not bought into Texas in these sort of spots early in the tournament under Shaka, underwhelming. Brown had a little bit of an issue there in chemistry that everybody overlooked. They can match up with the guards. The seven-footer can cause problems inside Cole. I'm going to go with Abilene Christian. If you want to look at the numbers, it doesn't make sense. But sometimes you have to take a leap of faith in your gut, and I think this is a very, very close game second half. Oh, wow. That was very convincing. That was like a coach's speech in the, the locker. I want to go out and play now for Abilene Christian. When you were a baby in your crib, your father looked down at you. He had but one hope. Someday my son will grow to be a man. Well, look at you now. You just got your asses whipped by a bunch of goddamn nerds. Nerds! Well, if I was you, I'd do something about it. I would get up and redeem myself in the eyes of my father my maker, and my coach. Well, let's get those nerds. What are we waiting for? Uh, Connor, are you swayed? <laughs> coach Randall uh, has me all pumped up and jazzed up here. But, I mean, there's a couple, <laughs> there's a couple of things here about Abilene Christian that bother me. It's like they have seven-footer Colton Cole. They're 339th in average height. And, the, and past their seven-footer, they have nobody. Their wing defenders are five seven and six-foot. And I know that they're 13th in perimeter defense, but that comes against a conference that isn't really exactly the Big 12. And Texas loves Jack and three. So I'm a little nervous about the size of the guys that are guarding the, the perimeter and, you know, forcing a bad shot out of Texas. And I'm worried that that can't happen. And I know, you know, Abilene Christian is first in the nation in turnover percentage and Texas can struggle with ball security. But I just keep going back to the fact that what Abilene Christian does on defense is what Texas Tech does. And so Texas has seen that three times this year. So I don't think Texas is going to get rushed. Uh, I think Texas is going to be able to handle any kind of defense or any kind of press that they get put against them. Uh, and, and I'm, I mean, if I was back in Abilene Christian, I'd be really worried about, you know, I know the perimeter defense, the, the percentage is great, but this is a different size shooter that we have on the wings for Texas. Don't sleep on, uh, by the way, don't sleep on Damian Daniels. He's only 5'7". He drives that down a little bit. But, I mean, Abilene Christian is really deep. But I think he's a top 20 in steal rate. Um, 
and he's he's only five seven. Uh, so, but I, I feel I mean the athletic advantage is definitely here for Texas. Um, but Randall made a very uh, a very good case. If it was in a, a court of law and I was a juror, and I was the one who said I didn't like Abilene Christian. I might have awarded, uh, <laughs> I guess, the listeners a play on Abilene Christian. Um, so good stuff there. Oh, by the way, I forgot earlier in the day. We got to sway back here. I own a Alabama. Alabama. That's at four Eastern on TBS. I don't want to forget that game before we get to VCU Oregon. Alabama sixteen and a half point favorite over under one forty seven and a half. We know how good Alabama is. Look, I own a, it's a Rick Pitino team. They have they want to pressure you. They they can do that really well in the MAC. Um, they have two senior guards, in, and Gist is an excellent point guard, and Isaiah Ross, he's capable of going like 30, 35. They'll need him to go for like 40 here. But uh, Alabama, not the cleanest team with the ball, but they, they should be able to handle this pressure. Um, and I, I just don't – look, it's Iona's turnover issues that they should be – that are the bigger worry in this game against an Alabama team that can turn you over. The Alabama defense is really good. The Iona offense, I don't know how it scores unless Ross just goes bonkers. Also, Alabama wants to play fast, and the way that Iona plays, they foul a lot. So there's a good chance that like uh, that like Ross gets in foul trouble, gets gets in foul trouble. So um, I don't know. It's Patino's going to try and cook up some pressure here. I don't know if it's the best matchup. This is probably a stay away for me. Randall, that he loved for uh, Patino, who said he packed eight suits. So I'm assuming that he's uh, changing every at every media timeout in this game. Yeah, I saw your tweet. That that's hilarious. Uh, not much on me on this game. I don't like the matchup. Uh, I like Patino, did a great job, certainly with Iona this year. Fantastic in New Rochelle, New York. But no, Alabama is the wrong matchup for them. They want to run. They want to get up and down the floor. I'm taking Alabama to cover. Sorry, Iona. I can't see it doing in this game. Colin, any love for the Gales? Absolutely not. This is a really, really bad matchup. I mean, if you look at this, Iona is close to the worst free throw rate defensively in the country at 343rd. So Alabama is going to get some trips to the charity stripe when they have the lead. Uh, Iona's defense didn't see a ton of three-point minded teams. I mean, their opponent's rate is 199. So they're not ready for the three and D. Uh, They didn't see a ton of tempo either. Uh, the perimeter defenses, you know, or uh, playing perimeter defenses at ranks 23rd could be a little bit misleading because they didn't see a lot of three-point attempts out of their conference. Bama's defense is 21st in steals. Uh, Iona's 299th. This game for Iona is completely lost in transition. Alabama has certain matchups against teams where they look like national title contenders, and Iona has the makeup of one of those teams that they can just abuse. So you know, the buying point for me, by the way, the, the line is going down. I mean, we should talk about the line. The line is 17. Uh, it's something that if you, you know, did your uh, adjusted efficiency Ken Palm projection over 100 possessions, the number should be about 16. So 15 and a half will be a buy point for me on Alabama on this game. But with Iona's free throw rate, there's no way I'm backing any number that they have. All right, let's get to the final game of the night. VCU-Oregon, I said this before, they're the third and fourth heaviest pressing teams in the tournament. Uh, Oregon's a five-and-a-half-point favorite, over under 138. Oregon obviously wasn't healthy, so I think some of their season-long numbers are depressed. Uh, VCU dealt with some injuries late. They obviously have Bones Highland, who's a potential first-round draft pick. He's excellent, capable of going off and winning this game on his own. I just don't think that this is – the best matchup for VCU, who I think could have made a run in this tournament, but they're the team that has more turnover issues on offense than Oregon. And so Oregon could handle pressure. Oregon's going to throw out a lot of different zone looks. They're going to trap you. They're going to press you. VCU is going to press you. They're going to try and the havoc defense, try to force turnovers. Oregon doesn't turn it over. VCU does. And a matchup with two teams that press and, try to pressure you all over. Also from a three point perspective, VCU's not the great greatest shooting team. You can get some open looks on Oregon in their zone. Um VCU's not a dominant interior team, which is where Oregon is a little weak. So uh, the VCU's all an awesome perimeter defense. So they're not going to go quietly here. I just don't think it's a great matchup for VCU. If you look if it's like kind of strength on strength when Oregon has the ball. A little, little, little more weakness on weakness when VCU does, but I think the difference is Oregon will be able to handle the pressure better, and they'll end up making more shots more reliably than VCU. The wild card is Highland. I mean, he can go off, but Oregon has a guy like that uh, in Duarte as well, and Figueroa. He can get hot also. So Dana Altman in the attorney setting, 
always dangerous, but, but this is a great X's and O's matchup. Great. I mean, Mike Rhodes is a great coach as well. I think it's a great nightcap. Uh, I think the line is a bit high, but I can see why, because I don't think it's a great matchup for VCU. Randall, what say you? I think it's almost the same as the St. Bonaventure game against VCU. I like the Oregon guards to get out there early and pressure. I don't think they'll let Bones Highland go crazy, and he's the center of everything they do on offense. Amaruri fights inside. Figueroa, Eric Williams, all these guys real strong. Duarte makes big shots. Will Richardson's finally settled into a role. I like Amori Hardy, who came over from UNLV. He can also make shots. I just don't like the matchup. Dana Altman, Oregon playing well, going to press VCU back, hit him in the mouth. That's not what VCU wants. They can't force Temple here because Oregon's going to be disrupting their offense. It is a big number. I see like a comfortable eight to 10 point win for Oregon. Yeah, it's also a really young, really young VCU team, really experienced Oregon team, which might end up being the difference here. All right, before we get to the three man weave Saturday picks, I want to tell you again about our friends at Athletic Brewing Company, makers of America's most flavorful non alcoholic beer. By the way, I just gave my wife one. She was like, holy shit, these are awesome. They are really tasty. And around here, March Madness is our favorite time of the year. But if you're looking to take it easy on the booze this March and just focus on celebrating the season with some good, wholesome gambling, Athletic Brewing's award-winning beers are a great option. Because for years now, Athletic Brewing has been making great tasting beers that celebrate the innovation of great craft beer, but without the alcohol. So if you want to support this show, head to athleticbrewing.com. Check out their selection and place an order using code ACTION15. That's ACTION15. This gets new customers 15% off their first order. If you order two or more six-pack, shipping is always free. That's athleticbrewing.com. Use the code ACTION15 on that first order and enjoy great taste while keeping your gambling edge. All right, let's get to the Saturday picks. Six guys, six picks. It's a College Hoops weekend six-pack. Everyone's trying All right, let's bring in the guys from Three Man Weave again. We have two of them. Again, Jim Root and Matt Cox, College Hoops contributors here at the Action Network. You know them well. The Weave is without Kai McEwen today, but Kai did submit his picks. We're ready to build the Saturday six-pack, six picks for Saturday, March Madness slate. You can catch Three Man Weave on Twitter at 3MW underscore CBB and on the Three Man Weave podcast. Jim, my guy, start us off. Who do you like? Going with St. Bonaventure. Well, slight dog here, plus one and a half against LSU. Like LSU's kind of a, a public darling here. They're super talented. They they showed out really well on Selection Sunday playing Alabama in a super tight game. But St. Bonaventure, Mark Schmidt, their coach, he just you give him a week to prepare for anybody, and I'm usually going to side with him. And here he's he's kind of got a, a second second shot, shot at this with uh, preparing for a Shaka Smart assistant two weeks in a row. Last week it was Mike Rhodes in the A-10 title game at VCU. This time, Will Wade of LSU, both guys were under Shaka Smart in past uh, 10 years. So I like Bonaventure here. I'm a little, a little worried about foul trouble since they don't have much depth, but it's a talented team, great starting five. I think they'll control the tempo, and, and they're very, very well coached. They'll have a great game plan. Give me the Bonnies, plus one and a half. Jim is building on Bonnies and the case that Randall has made. Matt, what do you got? Getting a little bit cute here, trying to narrow the scope of the game to that first half. You're avoiding any end game mess up, any of that nonsense. We're looking at first half for Colorado. The Buffs playing Georgetown off that magical carpet ride of a run there, Madison Square Garden. Every newspaper outlet, every media publication is writing about the Patrick Ewing story. And hey, we're here for it. It's feel good. We love what he did. We think he's building something there for the long term. But I don't care about the long term. I'm looking at the narrow of the here and the now. What Colorado's done this year in the first half has been mighty impressive. They are 22nd in average scoring margin in the first half this season, outscoring their opponents by six points a contest. In this line, you only need to cover two and a half, three, depending on what book you look at. I just think Georgetown has a little bit of that fog, that hangover off that awesome run. They come out a little bit slow. They're notorious for those second half comebacks. We've seen them do it multiple times this season. You, you hone in on Colorado first half. You take that out of the equation. Take the buffs here in the first 20 minutes. All right, Matt going again. So we had Jim go with Bonnie's. This is really interesting. Matt go with Colorado first half. And I have a feeling that Randall might go with Georgetown for the game. 
uh, for what he told me. So you might have Colorado first half and Georgetown for the game. So hopefully Georgetown doesn't cover the first half and get blown out in the second half. What a disaster that would be. And I know Kai isn't with you guys, but I believe he's giving – he gave you his Saturday pick? He is signaling to us that he likes Ohio, fading the Virginia COVID issues, ride with the Bobcats and Jeff Bowles. All right, Kai, going with Ohio. All right, so, Randall, are you going with Georgetown? Like you hinted that before? Favorite pick is easy. I'm taking Georgetown and the points. Georgetown, I think they're the better team. I think they're hotter. I don't trust Colorado. Batty's looked injured to me. Evan Batty inside. Hoyas are playing real well. Good balance inside and out. I'm going to take the Hoyas in the five and a half points. I think they win the game outright. And Randall does go with Georgetown. All right. We have Georgetown for the game. Colorado first half. Matt has Colorado first half. Kai has Ohio. Jim has Bonnie's. Randall has Georgetown for the game. Colin, what do you got? Favorite Saturday pick? Absolutely going with UC Santa Barbara. Gauchos, everything that we said before. Look for the outright upset. I have to go. I mean, I have to go Ohio. I mean, do, do I need to talk about it anymore? They're they they're peaking the COVID issues with Virginia. Jason Preston, they have the guards to shoot, to break down this pack on defense. This Virginia defense is not the same as it's been in years past. Yes, it's still good, but it's 33rd. Uh, and just an efficiency. The past seven years, they've been top seven or better. So, yes, it's great, but it's still not as good. There's weaknesses on the interior. There's weaknesses on the perimeter. Ohio can exploit that. Ohio is actually playing better defense. Their season-long metrics are depressed because they dealt, dealt with some COVID issues. They dealt with some injuries. They're peaking at the right time. Virginia might not even practice before this game. I, I just think there's advantages all over this court for Ohio. Low possession game, catching seven, eight, nine, ten points. Love it. I think they have a really good shot to win. Just hope the shots fall. Welcome to the Jason Preston Show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Subscribe, unsubscribe. Subscribe, you know the drill. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. Catch all of our picks, all of our content on actionnetwork.com and the Action Network app. We will be back next week with more tournament action. We will be also on every day of the tournament, Colin and I, with live content on the live show. So make sure you check out our Twitters for that. We got to get out of here. Let's have a weekend. Enjoy the March. Catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out. Nothing better than March popcorn. We're finished talking.